Hi everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. I am your host, Alex Metzger. Uh, this is episode three of the podcast. I want to thank everyone for listening to the first two episodes. It's meant a lot to see uh, all the downloads and just all the support that it's gotten so far. Um, truly means a lot. Uh, this week we have the guys from the Locked On Senators podcast on, also known as Sen Central, uh, Ross Levitan and Brandon Piller. Uh, we have a great discussion about uh, the new red, the reverse retro jerseys that came out, along with what we're looking forward to for this uh, Senators year, and uh, just some other small stuff uh, related to the Senators. So, um, yeah, without further ado, let's just get right back into it. Joining me now is the two uh, hosts from the Sen Central, or better known now as the Locked On Senators podcast, Ross Levitan and Brandon Pillar. Uh, boys, thanks for joining me. Yeah, pleasure to be here, Alex. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. Always fun chatting sense. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we got, uh, I don't know if lucky is the right word. We got some sense news to talk about this week, as well as some um, other news to talk about around the NHL, just in terms of jerseys. It was a big week for content, but uh, I, I said, I was talking to you guys off air about it, and I said I'd be remiss to say that we not bring up the Michael Haley signing, just as we, as I am a sense podcast. Um I posted this on Twitter. I have so little to say about this. So if you guys have anything to say, please take it away. Because my only opinion on this is he better not see the NHL, but you can do whatever you want with him in the AHL. And I really could not care less. Yeah, well, I'll I'll soothe you a little here then, Alex. I think it's very, very likely he's going to spend the entire time in the AHL. And the reason I point to that right away is look at his AHL salary right? A $200,000 AHL salary typically means the player and the agent and the team have kind of talked to each other and been like, look, we know we're going to be in Belleville most of the time, but I want to, I want some uh, compensation for that. I'm not going to sniff the NHL probably. So let's boost that AHL value. And look, a lot of people on Twitter are saying, why, why do this? You already got a bunch of tough guys. This is strictly a protect the investments uh, move here. And I think if you're going to do that, you might as well get the guy who's been in the most fights most recently. Like Michael Haley racks up those major penalties and he's going to protect these guys in Belleville. And it's a older mentor that, you know, it brings a whole different style to his game than these young skilled prospects are used to. Like this is an old school hockey kind of guy and he's going to bring that mentality to Belleville. Yeah. A couple of years ago, led the entire NHL in penalty minutes and 73 fights over his career. Don't know if he's won all of them. Um, I've seen a few that haven't gone his way, including one against Chris Neal. That uh, is a cool one to look up. Uh, Nealer, obviously a guy who didn't lose many fights, but Michael Haley, he's a face puncher, but a guy who can serve as a protector. Um, we saw there has been times in, in the minors where things get a little out of hand and the heat gets turned up in a game. That's just hockey. And Darren Archibald last year, a favorite of Pilsy and I, Love him. He, he was that guy who would throw the big hit or stand up and really set the tone out there. So you can be sure that at 34 years old, Michael Haley knows exactly what he's doing if he's lining up in Belleville. And I think he's going to do a great job at it. I, I would assume he plays every game for them or even a situation where he's out in and out of the lineup sometimes. But uh, I'm sure that he'll serve almost as much as an assistant coach as he is as a player. So he'll definitely uh, serve his value at 200K. Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing with that too is uh, I don't know if there's even been details. I know the AHL wants to come back, but they have a pretty grueling schedule as it already is. You know, they play, I'm sure you guys know, you've covered the uh, the B-Sends for a couple of years, right? If I'm not mistaken. And 
so they play a ton of like three games and four nights or back to back. And then, you know, another back to back just for travel. If it's an even more condensed schedule this year, who knows what that looks like. So it might not be the worst thing in the world to just have a couple extra bodies down there. So you can sub in and out, especially on those bottom six lot or uh, yeah. in the bottom six, the bottom two lines there. And the other thing too is, and again, like I, I really would rather not see him playing too many NHL minutes, but this is a guy who knows his role too in the NHL. You look at the past two years, last year he played 22 games with the New York Rangers and uh, I don't think he was hurt for too much of it, but he seems to be okay, you know, sitting in the press box if he needs to a little bit as well. So if the Senators need a 13th forward and they don't want um, someone like uh, Balsers or, you know, Norris or someone like that sitting in the press box, understandably, maybe he comes up for a week or two on a road trip and, if you know if they have road trips this year and and uh sits in the press box or subs in for a couple minutes in a game but yeah i don't know i i saw a couple people you know um talking about it on twitter but i think mostly this is a pretty uh meaningless signing not meaningless but uh i don't think it'll have a high impact on anything especially that happens in the nhl that's for sure no it's not going to be a competition at training camp type signing i don't think no not at all um yeah, so other than that, I, that's the only real Sens news in terms of roster that we had this week. But uh, the reverse retro jerseys came out. And um, I said we'll go through uh, – we'll start with Ottawa's, of course. But then we'll go through um, some of the best and worst, in your guys' opinion, my opinion, just from around the league. Because there was 31 new jerseys, which I don't think has ever happened. Like, I, I'm trying to remember any, like, major – marketing thing like this I, I i don't think it's ever happened in the well, nhl well the nfl has it right they do their it, color rush but yeah. in the nhl no this is the first and it's a nice cash cow at a time when revenues out of premium absolutely yeah and you think that's probably the reason and like that's a good enough reason and hey i'm Perfect. fine with it yeah like it yeah, gives anything to tap into that nostalgia that most it, of them are awesome exactly so uh we'll start with ottawa's um I, I assume most people have seen it already if you haven't you can just look it up it's um it's pretty close to what their, their new jerseys are this year, except it's a, it's a base red instead, which um, I'll get your guys' opinion on. I think it looks super clean, like just really nice. It's red and black, and it's got the gold 2D logo. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this uh, reverse retro jersey? Well, you touched on it there, the gold 2D and the shimmering gold being back is awesome. I, I actually kind of like how they cleaned it up for the, the new era and don't have that sparkling aspect to the, the crown of the, uh, the helmet on – on the chest, but I love it in, in this situation. It makes the red pop even more. Could it used a bit more white? Maybe I, I would have liked to have seen it, but uh, even still, it looks awesome. And it's definitely in the top, top third of the league, I would say. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, we, we did rankings on our show today, but uh, so I, I said it and I'll say it again. If this sends Jersey isn't in everyone's top 10 of the reverse retros, then they made a mistake. I don't care what team you cheer for because yeah, that red is just popping so nicely. I think they did a good job of using the color to make the statement, you know? Like, I feel like some teams tried to use a logo or a jersey design, like the way they, they patterned the stripes or whatever to make their flash. The Sens used a really nice red color that I think is going to look great on the ice, and I'm getting one of these jerseys as soon as they're available. Yeah, the one thing some people I saw saying was maybe the black stripe, like why not just have that as the bottom, but it's the black stripe with red, more red underneath. And I'm assuming it's going to be black pants underneath. So having that contrast and then go back to the black, it looks sharp. Similar in the way that I would have been a fan on the white jersey with the black sleeve all the way down. 
But once I saw it with the glove on when, when Shabbat did the modeling or the two guys who were at the stadium there, uh, Brown and Nick Paul, once they have the gloves on, it just fits the whole, the whole look. It finishes it off. So similarly with the stripe on the bottom of the color, it, it looks good. I'm a fan. But uh, I'd say it's the original six teams that struggled the most here to produce nice jerseys. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I think if I, I had to write down – I wrote down a couple of the worst ones, and in my opinion, the worst one, hands down, is the Detroit Red Wings. I yep. it, They took their jersey and just added a little bit of gray to it, and it's like, well, you didn't do anything to it, right? Like, and I, I didn't like Toronto's either. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm biased there either. Like, their logo sucked, and I don't know, the gray, it, it just doesn't fit really, and then – I think the third one I really just could not stand, and again, it's gray, the Winnipeg Jets. It was just, you know how you said Ottawa's, their base color really popped. It, with Winnipeg's, it was the opposite for me. It was like their base color just really, really struggled when it came to um, what color they were using. But yeah, the, the original six teams, generally speaking, I thought uh, they were underwhelming to say the least. I, I didn't mind Montreal's. I don't know. We'll get into your opinions on those too, but Definitely, I thought the worst two were Detroit and Toronto, and then Winnipeg was probably there as a three with me. Yeah, we had the same bottom two. Uh, I threw Montreal as one that I was like kind of laughing at because seeing them wearing blue and I don't know, Pilsy pointed out it's a different shade than the Leafs, but I just picture Leafs blue, Habs like red with a bit of blue, almost like the American flag, which is strange being Montreal, the probably the the, the most Canadian team uh, being named the Canadiens. Nice. Uh, flow there but yeah with the Montreal one like it is really weird seeing them blue but how dark it was I thought it actually kind of worked kind of well um yeah and then I don't know like did you guys have any other ones that you really really did not like yeah our our lists of did not like are very similar I think and I just feel so bad for the fans of these franchises any franchise that went with the white or a gray shirt I think you kind of lost out there. Like the whole point of this is to do something flashy and make something fun out of it. And I think you mentioned a couple uh, teams there. And I think a lot of teams, the original six, your hands are kind of tied because if you do anything to change the logo, uh, there's instant riots and uh, the, the old school people just get crazy about this. I think this was kind of a, kind of a, a nice tribute to nineties kids. Like the, these are most of the logos and jerseys that we grew up watching and the kind of the nostalgia really hits here. So I think some of the teams, like I want to mention a couple logos that I thought they could have done a much better job with. Like if you're the ducks, sure. I get the, it's, it's fun that, uh, I don't know what you call him, Might, Mighty Wing or whatever his his name is, that character. It's fun, but I think your other logo was so much better. The Sabres, they almost did it. They almost did it. The swords are nice, but that old buffalo is just so good, and the black and red was amazing. I think they kind of flopped there. And two of the, the biggest flops, though, I got to say, for teams that just did did not get this concept right at all, the New York Islanders, like, wow, cool, <laughs> yeah. guys. You did the jersey you already have. Fun. Great. <laughs> and then you look at the Chicago Blackhawks. They're, they don't want to show their logo because it's offensive and they don't, they don't want to start uh, some sort of controversy. Well, maybe it's time to switch that up if you're not willing to proudly uh, promote your logo and just show fans the back of your jerseys with normal fonts and normal letters. Like, what a disappointment from those two franchises i would say if, if you're a fan of those teams you're just like well i'm not i'm not getting either of these jerseys what's the point yeah and uh, we have to talk about vegas if we're talking about terrible jerseys they didn't even deserve one to begin with i think 
getting the third was enough for a team that's going into its fourth season. So not a fan there. And they also failed to design anything worthwhile. I'm, I'm sadly talking myself into this Vegas jersey. I, no, I don't think it's good. I, I don't think it's it. good, but I'm willing to at least give it a shot on the ice. They See tried it. They tried something, right? No. You got to give them an A for effort. But yeah, the Chicago one, I think in terms of jerseys, that has to be 31 just because you're so embarrassed you won't even show your damn logo in the, in the reveal. And if that's the point you're going to because you're that worried about backlash, as you said, it's time to just scrap the jersey then. You got to go with a different concept, a different design. And I get they don't want to do that or whatever, but if you're so embarrassed, you can't even show the jersey on your reveal to the point where they literally had the guy's arm covering the logo, showing off the number. It's like, what are you doing? And the, the, the other one that I uh, was a little disappointed with was the um, Edmonton Oilers. I mean, it just it didn't really seem like they changed much from their jersey from like three years ago or whatever. I don't know. Like that was one I kind of wanted to see. Maybe they might even bring the teardrop back or something like that. That would have been cool from 06, but I don't know. Those were the definitely the couple that I was like, eh, I, I wasn't too high on, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, they didn't change much up. Where I thought a team that did a really good job of that, the Calgary Flames, they went with the, I don't know what you call it, the angry flame horse or whatever. Flag. But <laughs> Yeah, something like yeah. that. <laughs> but at least, like, you know, that's fun. It's something different. Like, and I mentioned it on our show too, the Dallas stars, they could have gone with that weird little bowl thing. And the Islanders, we just talked about doing nothing. Why not go with the fishermen? People love that. Like, I swear, if you watch Islanders games, the people in the fans more, more or most of them have that teal wave Jersey. Cause it's just cool. Like it's something different. So I think if the teams that decided to play it safe, major L here, you took a major L. Yeah, and for the record, Pillsy, Matthew Kachuk tweeted out a, a mock-up of him wearing the new black jersey with hashtag free Blasty. So I think we have your answer. It's Blasty. Blasty. Blasty the fire horse. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think so. This is a perfect transition into the good ones. Uh, my favorite personally is Calgary's. I think that is so awesome. Um, my next favorite are the two, uh, two jerseys that kind of went outside the box with their colors, and it's both purple. The LA Kings and the Arizona Coyotes. Arizona just went with the wildest design I've ever seen. And honestly, I think it works. I'm so excited to see what these look like on the ice. And that is probably the first time I've said that in a while about anything Arizona Coyotes related. So already it's, I think, doing its job and trying to get some people to watch when it comes back. Yeah, I think I, here's the thing. I don't like the Coyotes jerseys, but I like what they tried. You know, it's fun. And Jesus, if anyone needs help uh, getting fans back involved and uh, cheering for this team at all, it's the Arizona Coyotes. I don't know what they're going to do with that franchise. So at least you get a fun little jersey to talk about here. And yeah, Ross and I are both with you on the Kings. Like that, uh, the purple and gold is just screams LA. So it just works so well. Yeah, now they're officially like co-branded with the Lakers. I would love to see that be their full-time home jersey, honestly. Thanks. It's way better. And then they could keep the, the normal purple one as their alternate. Uh, Alex, what do you think about the Minnesota Northwild, we're calling them? Because they didn't fully steal the logo and the name like the, well, maybe not the name, but the logo like Colorado did. But I love it. Changing the colors to throwback, but staying with the current organizational franchise name. Yeah, that was one that I, uh, it was kind of in the middle. Like, I like it. I definitely enjoy it. Um, 
I thought there were some better ones, but it definitely looks, it does not look bad. I would definitely buy that, like, if I got the chance or whatever. Um, I saw would you have preferred to see the North Stars logo, or are you happy they stuck with the wild, like, the boar head? I don't know. I, I think the North Star could have been cool, because this gets into another discussion, uh, discussion with the Nordiques one and the, the Hartford one, too. Like, hmm, I don't know. Like, I, I, I like the look of, I think the um, the Minnesota logo actually fits really well with the colors anyway, so I don't really have an issue with it. I saw a couple jokes about it being um, like a subway design almost for the restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I laughed at those, but like, no, I, I do think it's really good. And it would have been interesting to see the North stars, but at the same time, I also understand that people are like, you're not that franchise. So don't try to keep throwing it back to that franchise. Like, you know, you can use their colors or whatever, but you know, take their logo, but yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely enjoy it. I think it's um, probably easily top half for me anyways, of the jerseys that got released. Right. Well, it's a situation where the North Stars moved to Dallas. So it's not yeah. like the Nordiques where they're actually the same franchise. So I like it for that, but I would have liked to see Carolina go the, the Colorado route where you take the Whalers logo since you own the logo, but make it your colors like yeah. that in black, red and white would have been an awesome look too. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, especially because they just came back with a Whalers jersey this past year. So it's not like we haven't seen them in a Whalers jersey ever. It's just they went right back with it. But, yeah, that could look cool. And, yeah, the other one, the Colorado one, that looks – I know people are on the fence about, you know, should they be wearing uh, the Nordiques, you know, logo or whatever. I don't know if people from Quebec like that or not. I don't really care if I'm being completely honest. No, because me this, this jersey looks amazing in my opinion. Like, the lo- I didn't think the logo and the colors would fit that well, but, oh, my gosh, like – this and uh, like this is probably a top three, maybe top five for me, just and, in terms of jersey and, and color scheme. And there was a tease earlier this summer where McKinnon posted on his story, they're going to be all turquoise gloves. They're going to oh, look so nasty. Man. Yeah. Wait, I so believe. those are just the gloves with this jersey? I thought he was teasing that they're going to bring back the blue Nordiques jersey fully. I don't know. I think it's for this one. Yeah, I could I mean, be wrong, though. I don't know. Yeah, there, there's, there's a hint of turquoise in here, so maybe it's both, but I don't know. Either way, that, that gets me excited to watch, you know, a couple of Avalanche games this year, too. Yeah. Well, wait, I want to get, uh, Alex, your opinion on my favorite jersey. I heard Ross says he's not a fan, but I love the New Jersey Devils green and red. Now, you can, you can go holly jolly Christmas on me all you want. That's fine, but I think it just looks so fresh. All I said was that there's a few too many stripes i don't hate it it's middle of the pack for me all right fair fair i I think it's yeah it's probably close to middle for me Uh, it's probably around the 10 range like top 10 there i like it i think if you got rid of maybe one or two of those white stripes at the bottom it would look or just the red stripe or something at the bottom it would look a little better but overall i really do like that base color of green with the red for the devil's color like and i mean yeah it kind of looks christmasy but hey there's nothing wrong with that either right like so, uh, yeah, I really enjoy them. And especially when, you know, you just compare it to a couple other jerseys in that division, like the Islanders was a disappointment. I like the Flyers, but again, they didn't do a ton with it necessarily. We talked about how you could have improved on Hartford's. I like Washington's in that division and the Statue of Liberty for the Rangers, but definitely one of the better ones in that division for sure. I'm not a fan of the name in the bottom stripe like Washington and Buffalo have. Not a fan. Yeah, I uh, the I don't I don't mind the Washington one. I don't know. There's something about it that 
it shouldn't fit at all, but it kind of does. But maybe it would look weirder, especially with the actual players' names on the back of the jersey. I could see how that would look uh, a little strange. Did you see on the Ducks one, it's like that Comic Sans, basically, the font? Super crazy. Yeah, it's – I so I don't know if you guys saw when they – someone had posted a Ducks mock-up online a couple weeks ago, and it was close to this jersey, but it was like this disgusting orange color. Like, oh. almost like what they have now, and I was so worried that they were going to ruin it. So it's like – I think they still probably could have done a little better than this, but this was like 10 times better than what was released. So I'm just happy for that at least. Um, and then there was one other jersey I wanted to give a shout out to the Florida Panthers one. Um, I didn't mind that. Like I like their new logo enough, but the the throwback to the Panther and and that kind of blue, I, I I do really like that one. I thought that was a pretty solid jersey as well. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. They're gonna look really sharp on the ice too. Exactly. Um, I don't know. You guys have any other jerseys you want to touch on? No, not not particularly. No, I think me, yeah. yeah, just overall outlook. I think that it was an awesome job by the NHL to. Pumped them all out. Most of them stayed under wraps. We didn't have many leaks, a few, but not many. And, uh, yeah, it was exciting. I was, I was really thrilled and, and uh, enjoyed the execution. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is one of the better things I can remember them doing in a little while, just in terms of getting stuff out, promoting it, you know, hyping it up and, and the release. And, yeah, like I, I tweeted a couple days ago. I was like, I'm so excited for these. Like, with 31 jerseys, yeah, you're going to have some duds. And, and there were some duds for sure, but, like, you have 31 new jerseys. I would say 25 of them are solid, like some form of good, you know, like, and then I would say there's probably 10 to 15 of them that I really, really enjoy. So um, yeah, I think they did a great job with this project, but um, let's get them some actual just Ottawa talk for the, you know, the off season. One of the things I've been trying to look at is, um, you know, preparing for the next season. It's been a while since we played a game, you know, it's been what over 250 days, I guess now. Um, so, and we still don't really know when they're coming back. The plan is January 1st, but it might be mid-January. Who knows? So it's probably still about two months. But um, I want to ask you guys, like, who is your the newest, the, the new addition to the Sens that you're most excited for this year? It could be through the draft, through free agency, via trade, whatever. Is there a player that you're most excited to just watch and see what happens with them this year? Well, Alex, as we're representing a goalie-friendly show on the Locked On Senators podcast, it has to be Matt Murray. Just to see how he's going to react to knowing he's the starter. There's no Marc-Andre Fleury behind him. There's no Tristan Jari sitting on the bench. And if he makes one mistake, he gets the hook, and, and it's maybe two, three games before he gets another chance. He's going to be the guy for 75 to 85% of Ottawa's games, and it's going to be a huge indicator of how Ottawa finishes in the standings how he does. So my eyes are going to be firmly on Matt Murray uh, from day one of training camp. And I'm convinced he's going to bounce back at least better than he was the last two seasons. But I think the sky's the limit for this guy, 26 years old. And what Noodles said, Jamie McLennan came on our podcast yesterday and today. And he said um, that with Matt Murray, he's going to grow with this core as a 26 year old. And though he won those two cups, he hadn't proved that he could do the rigors of a regular season. Now he's going to get that chance, and I can't wait to see how he responds. Yeah, absolutely. He's one of the guys that, um, you know, the, the contract was – it is what it is. It's a, it's a lot of money, but it's for four years, and it's an RFA who has won two cups. So, you know – a, He's 11th in, in goalies in salary. So, yeah, is it so overpaid it, for – yeah, sure, but I, I don't care. But, yeah, and I think it's um, – 
uh, it's a good chance now to at least see uh, what you had. And, and, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't give too much up to get them. And, you know, this is the year where it's like, this is when you should be trying stuff, see what you have, because if he comes in and he can show he's even going to be like an average starting goalie, you feel really good about where you're going in the future, just because it's like, we know we at least have that baseline of goaltending then, right? If he comes in and struggles, maybe you give him another year with, you know, someone trying to take a few games with uh, away from him, right? Like if, if Hogberg plays well this year, maybe you hope that he's trying to take a few games, but you know, it's just so important to at least know what you have this year. So when in two to three years, when you want to be competing for the playoffs, you're not struggling and going, oh, shoot, we need a goalie. Like, where are we going to get one? Because you should know exactly what you have in Matt Murray. And I'm really excited to see if he can bounce back to his 2017-2018 uh, form there. Yeah, so I'll take uh, the other obvious answer here. And I'm kind of glad Ross left me this one because – I am such a fan of Evgeny Dadanov. I think people just, it's classic case of Florida market, you know, smaller market team, don't get a lot of TV time, never really make a lot of noise in the playoffs or regular season. And you got so much talent there. You got Ekblad, Huberto, Barkov, Hoffman. Dadanov always got slid down the list and people don't pay attention to him. He's one of the most consistent goal scorers in the entire league, always right around that 30 goal mark. And that's, like I said, playing in a lower position. He is now, as of this season, he's the Senator's guy. Like, that's the guy on the power play. You're molding that power play to fit to Dadanov's shot. You're trying to get him the puck with space to get a shot, get Brady in front of the net, causing all kinds of havoc, screening, tips, rebounds, etc. But Dadanov's the guy at the end of the game. You want the puck on his stick because he he's proven time and time again that he can get it done. And he does it better than guys like Mike Hoffman and Anthony Duclair, who were your other goal scoring options in free agency, because he plays better on the back end too. And he's got, he's got great veteran experience. This guy uh, lit it up in the KHL as well before coming back to the NHL. So I think the fact that the Sens were able to get that enough over all these other suitors, all these other teams where we're always saying Ottawa can't get the big fish free agency. Well, guess what? They got him. They got him for three years at a great price. I think the entire league tipped their cap to the Senators when they signed this one. Evgeny Dadanov, three years, $5 million a year. He fits in so nicely. And I love, I'm fully embracing all the Russian uh, players that are coming into this organization because I think that's, it's been a long time coming and uh, they're going to do a lot to help out this team. One of the telling signs for me was on Chicklets that really just shuns Ottawa, right? When it comes up, they're like, dismiss it. And Whitney, who's best friends with Keith Yandel, a teammate of Evgeny Dadnov for the last three years, he said he was golfing with him when the signing came in. And he's like, Ottawa, really? Like, that's a huge pickup. And for, for that to be the case of a guy who's living in Miami to come to Ottawa for winters, man, he knows the opportunity that's there for him. And I want to pick up where Pilsy left off on the power play talk. You know who's buzzing around carrying the puck in the offensive zone looking for Dadnov in his spot or pushing it down to Brady near the goal? It's Timmy Superstar, and that's what's really exciting. And then you throw Shabbat in the mix, and you're starting to see the makings of a good offensive threat. And Ottawa hasn't been able to score that many goals in the past few years, and I think that's on the verge of changing in a big way. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I was just looking it up. Uh, you know, I think it's – between him and Kachuk probably for who Ottawa's best forward is. But honestly, I think Dadanov at this moment is probably Ottawa's best forward. I think oh, yeah. Kachuk will overstep him in a year or two, just in terms of, you know, what he brings from a 200 foot game of play. But over the past two years, when you look at goals above replacement, uh, 
Dadunov ranks 81st among forwards, which is the first line rate. The only two other Ottawa forwards are Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne who've been on that list. And they're obviously no longer with the Ottawa's organization. Um, uh, so he's going to step right in and he's going to get the chance to be the man. And I think he's going to get it right along with Kachuk. And if they play on a line, I am so excited to see what that would look like. Um, you know, like, I don't know if they absolutely will play all, all their games together, but I really hope that at some point to just start the year, you know, they're going to get a chance to just, you know, go and cause hell together on the ice, because I think that could be a really good duo, especially with someone like Thomas Shabbat feeding them the puck. Well, I'll ask you a question here, Alex. If those two are on either wing, let's say Tim Stutzla starts at left wing. So he's not an option for this question. Who is your centerman? Is it Colin White, Chris Tierney, Logan Brown, Josh Norris? Like, who do you put in between Dadnov and Kachuk? I would probably put Colin White there. Uh, I mean, I think you could also make the argument for Tierney to start the year, but I I think I would want to see White there just because, as I mentioned earlier, like, this is a year to see what you have. Colin White had a disappointing year last year. I know, you know, there's a lot of fans on his case, but honestly, I, I don't think he was as bad as, you know, he showed. And he got sent down to the fourth line a couple times and, you know, deserving or not, who knows, but I, I think he's going to come back and he's really going to make an impact for himself. Is he a first line center? No, I don't think so. But is he the closest thing that Ottawa might have to start the year? Maybe. So I think his skill set might fit with them. And again, if you want to put Tierney there, that's fine. I think ideally you have Tierney probably in the top six to start and then, I would put Logan Brown on the third line with whoever you want to play him with. And then hopefully within, you know, the first half of the year, Logan Brown shows enough that he can step up into one of those top six center roles. Yeah. I I actually have things slotted a little differently guys. And yeah, you mentioned Tierney being there. So I I actually have the first line. I mean, first line, second line, you can flip them any way you want, but I like Tierney with Dadnov because I've always loved Tierney's uh, puck moving abilities, a playmaker. Maybe he he doesn't have the most skill, but he's able to read the play really well. So I think he's going to be good at feeding Dadnov the puck. And then on that left side, I have Alex Galchenyuk. I really think Galchenyuk um, lines up better as a winger than a center. And I think with those three, you could get a lot of offense going where I like the second line being a little more gritty, a little more two-way where you get Brady, Colin White, and Connor Brown. I think those, they're going to be an effective trio. And I'm not so convinced that Colin White is ready to be uh, thrust into that first line role just quite uh, so early. We saw his struggles last year. So I think getting him down the lineup a little bit helps him out as well. And I think him and Brady are going to have so much chemistry going forward here. I want to keep those two together. And then Connor Brown's the savvy two-way vet that's going to hold all the glue together here and make up for some of those mistakes that maybe the younger guys in Kachuk and White may fall into. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing about this Ottawa line or Ottawa four group too is um, they're not necessarily good, but there's a lot of options where you can really mix and match. Like there's three lines really where you can kind of throw anyone from the first to third line. And honestly, I think it'll work out, you know, somewhat yeah. fine, right? Like within reason, obviously, but like, I think uh, it wouldn't shock me. You know, a lot of teams have the first line that takes the big matchups. I could see Ottawa just, you know, over the first three lines kind of distributing ice time somewhat evenly, obviously whoever's going that night will get a little more, but you know, I don't think there's going to be one just definite first line to at least to start the year anyways. But um, that brings me to the last point that I had. Uh, and I see we're running out of time on our zoom meeting here, but uh, that's okay. We'll just restart it if we need to. Um, it kind of goes along with the new edition, but what's the most intriguing part of this uh, season coming up for you from an Ottawa center standpoint? For me, the most intriguing part here is kind of 
the unofficial battle for that center position between Josh Norris and, and Josh Norris and Logan Brown. Um, for me, I'm on the, on the side that Logan Brown needs to get his chance here. I've got him. I gave you my first two lines, so I'll give you my third line. I've got Logan Brown centering a line of Balsers and Batherson as the third line. I think those guys have a lot of familiarity in Belleville. And I think with Batherson and Balsers, you're going to get – Good two-way guys that can also put the puck in the net. And then Logan brings that size. Him and Batherson would be a tough duo to go up against. Like, those are some big guys. And this is the year for Logan Brown. You cannot have him in the NHL playing five or six minutes sheltered on the fourth line. What a waste that is. No chance in that. Only thing I'd flip from you, Pilsy, is I'd move Balsers down to a fourth line in a situation where in the course of a game, DJ can get him with those offensive guys. If, if Brady kills a penalty or he has a tough shift on the power play, you can move Balsers up. I want to keep the exact line that dominated two years ago in Belleville. Nick Paul deserves a chance on that third line with Logan Brown and Drake Batherson. The AHL had no idea what to do on that line. In, the, in their defensive zone, they dominated. They're three huge bodies – uh, Nick Paul, he's like 26 years old now. He's a man. And he really drives that line and brings Logan Brown along. And Logan Brown, when you get him in his spots, when he has time and space, he's an amazing player. So it's about the other guys and Drake gaining, really growing into his size. They're able to separate players and, and give other guys space. And Logan's the guy who needs that. But if he gets it, he, this is a year make or break. And I heard the other day, he, just changes agent so yeah that's uh, huge news yeah yeah, it really is and and we should have mentioned that actually we didn't today on the show <laughs> but um that that's actually like we'll see this is a huge training camp for logan brown huge the only i love that idea obviously uh, ross and i worked in belleville so we saw a lot of that uh so brown bathroom line dominating but Ridiculous. i just feel like balser's game uh translates so much better to a third line role and nick paul i feel like you know there's nothing wrong with this but I think he cements as a great fourth line winger. I think he works a lot better in that area where Balsers, you're not going to get as much uh, gritty physical play as you will from Nick Paul. So that's why I like Paul there, but you can, you can flip flop it any way you yeah. like. And I think both, both uh, Nick Paul and Rudolph Balsers deserves a chance to get a little more minutes. So I'm fine with that. Yeah. In that case, I would probably just move Logan Brown down then and, and that way keep him and Nick Paul together. That's really what I'm getting at. Maybe, Austin Watson on the right side there really caused some havoc in the offensive zone and on the porch. I can't wait to see Austin Watson play too. It's going to be, he's a fun player to watch. Definitely. Yeah. And the other thing with Nick Paul too, is I think, you know, his sample size isn't too big in the NHL, but it's honestly big enough where I feel pretty comfortable in saying he's one of the best Ottawa forwards in terms of defensively responsible. Like he's done a very good job in a limited role when he's got the chance over the past three years of effectively shutting down the other team's forwards. You know, it doesn't matter who he seems to play against. There's not a ton that gets let up when he's on the ice. So it just depends where you want to use them. If you want to use them more in a third line, you know, shutdown role like we saw that Pajot line a couple of years ago and off and on you know that that could be Nick Paul's kind of niche maybe but yeah I, I again like I think there's tons of options up front that like it, it, it again, within reason it doesn't really matter how you mix, mix and match them but it, it's going to be so exciting and that's one of the things I'm, I'm most excited for this year um, and then the other thing I had written down just for my intriguing thing is I really want to see how the right side of the defense works this year um you know, it's that is the weakest part of the Ottawa Senators team, I think, by a long shot. And I'm just curious to see if guys like Zub, 
uh, you know, Josh Brown, um, you know, anyone really can even like if Christian Jaros has a great camp, I don't think he's going to make the roster, but if he has a great camp, if someone, one or two of those guys can break through and, and give the Ottawa Senators a steady right side to, for at least half the season. Yeah, the right side is definitely intriguing. And I think when you're looking at that right side, really the, the main question that matters is who's going to play with Shabbat, right? That's your perennial number one cornerstone defenseman. And we can't have what happened to Eric Carlson where you're just tossing any right shot defense or uh, left shot defenseman to play with them. Like that's, that's not going to work. So remember, I, remember when Freddie Clayson played a regular shift with Carlson? Like, like what, are we, what are we doing there? What are we so doing? I think um, we we've talked about it a bunch on our show and I think uh, good Branson makes a lot of sense. It's a veteran and uh, a lot of people may be shaking their head at that, but Talk to Ducks fans. Good Branson played a lot of his time with Cam Fowler in uh, playing big minutes, and they liked what they saw from him. So I think to start the season, we could see that as uh, Shabbat's D partner. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be a little nervous, I think, with Good Branson there. But Shabbat's so good that I'm not worried for Shabbat. And, I mean, if this is the year you don't figure it out, that's quite okay anyways. Yeah. Um, it's Wolanin is someone I want to make sure that he has a good steady partner who can help break the puck out. You know, I hope he plays with someone like Josh Brown, who's he, apparently he's, you know, he's a bit of a physical presence and whatnot, but I hope he kind of gets it because he's the one I really think needs to develop a little more, you know, Shabbat we've seen, you know, I think he's still got a little more growing to do, but we know what he is. Right. So I'm not worried. He's, his development's not going to be ruined by no matter who he plays with. It's the, you know, the guys down the lineup where it's like, that's where you really want to see some balance. I hope. Uh, and then the other name I want to bring up on the defense too, because, you know, every time I say it, I just, I can't believe what I'm saying, but it's Eric Branstrom and the fact that he might be starting in the AHL this year, just because of how, uh, how busy the Sens blue line is. And so, you know, part of mine goes with the right side, but if Branstrom will land and both somehow make this team on the left side, like that's where I think you really need to make sure you have steady guys who are going to help them grow in their own end, but also, you know, just give them an outlet to help them break the puck out because you don't want them doing it all, all themselves. Right. Yeah, and I think the thing with Branstrom is it's tough watching Mark Stone light it up in Vegas and you're looking at Branstrom being like, he should be in the NHL, he should be dominating. But I, I say this a lot and sometimes I catch uh, some heat for it, but there is no rush to get these guys to the NHL. The NHL is not a developmental league. If you want to develop these guys, do it in Belleville. Do it over in Switzerland where Eric Branstrom is lighting it up right now because then they have the confidence to do the things they're well at, which for Branstrom, it's carrying the puck, uh, transition passes, skating, towing that blue line on the power play. He's great at that, but he needs to work a little harder on his defense, winning those puck battles, and uh, not getting the puck stripped off him so easily. And we saw when he was forced into a role into the NHL last season, didn't do so well, right? So I think there's no problem at all putting Branstrom back in Belleville. He's going to be a top pair defenseman, top power play, while working on those things with uh, Troy Mann, where he needs to get better in practice and during the games. And I think I'd be shocked if we don't see Branstrom in the NHL at some point, but I don't think it'll be right away. He's going to start in Belleville and work his way up once trades, injuries, etc. happen. Then you get to see his opportunity and you're talking about a guy to play with the line and we've we've played around with the idea that Pranstrom is one of those guys that we think can play the right side so if you're worried about having a good right side defenseman I think Pranstrom is able to do that role even though he's a left shot yeah the only problem there is you get into a situation where the three guys on the right side all have contracts that would dictate that they're NHL players especially Josh Brown who I think would be the least secure 
because Cabranson's making four million and Zaitsev is an irremovable object no matter which way you put it. And you just handed Josh Brown a two-year extension. So I think that's how Dorian sees the right side. Can Brandstrom force his way? I hope so, but he's going to have to do that. I think the perfect depiction of what his season was last year is you have that 31 games in the NHL, no goals. And do we measure a defenseman on goals? No, we don't. But what really gives the contrast is I know some of those games at the end, but after his first major stint in the NHL, when there was really a lack of production both at both ends of the ice, he comes down to the AHL and goes end-to-end and buries a slap shot in the first game. He, he carries the play in the AHL. He dictates that. And I'd rather he continue to work on things that come naturally, like strength, and we know he's dedicated. It's just, it's going to take time. How many under-six-foot defensemen are there in the NHL? You can probably count on both hands, uh, maybe a bit more, but guys who are in prominent top-four roles, he's 20 years old. He'll get there. He is that special. Just let it breathe. Give him some time. And we want Belleville to be good this year too, right? You can't give all the kids NHL spots. And then what, Belleville's going to rebuild? Sokolov needs to make the playoffs this first year. We need to see what they, these kids can do. And so you got to leave the guys who've been there the last couple of years. Like Alex Formanton, I think, plays top line in Belleville. And he was yep. always kind of on that second line. And what happens with Vitalia Bramov, right? So there, there's some really interesting spot, stuff that's going to come out of training camp. And that's what adds to this intrigue. I don't think there's a more intriguing team with more spots up for grabs than the Ottawa Senators. So it's great for us on day 251 without, uh, without Sens hockey. So it's, it's awesome. It's, uh, every day is a day closer, Alex, till we're, uh, we're back doing these battles for real. Yeah, no kidding. And I think with Branchdom, one of the things that I've argued, especially last year, and I think it was quite okay to see him go down last year, especially with, you know, watching him light up the AHL like he did. Part of it's also usage. You know, you talk about the zero goals in the 30 games or whatever. I mean, he was also stapled with Ron Hainsey and getting thrown out there yeah. in a defensive usage game. So it's like, yeah, like part of it. And he, for what it's worth, like as a 19-year-old in the NHL, he really didn't do – he wasn't good in – like he wasn't great in his own end by any means. He wasn't a shutdown guy. But he kept his head above water for a 19-year-old who only was playing defensive minutes with a guy who, no offense to Ron Hainsey, seems like a great dude. But I'm, there was just times last year where he just showed he just didn't have the wheels to go every night in the NHL, right? So it's like some of it's usage. And and that's why, again, like this year, I, I would have much rather see him, you know, get a shot somewhere up in the NHL. And just with all the bodies, I don't think it's going to happen. But like even with a Josh Brown or I don't know, like they're, what, the right side is so interesting that it's like yeah, maybe some of those names you don't need to see him up there all year with. But yeah, like I have no problem with him uh, developing his two-way game or his offensive game or anything like that in the AHL. But um, I think part of me also wants to see, not just because he was traded for Stone, but again, like, he, you know, he's, tw- he's 21 now. So it's like, this is the year where it's like, yeah, hopefully you can see him take at least another step to show that he is a legitimate NHL defender at some point. And I think it might come, you know, I think along the trade deadline, some of these guys will get moved. Like it wouldn't shock me in the slightest if Erica Branson gets flipped at the deadline when teams have more cap space. And, um, you know, even maybe someone like Mike Riley, who knows, like those types of names and that that'll give room for um, Branstrom to come up. But yeah, I think part of his thing last year was like, the Senators uh, management kind of threw him in a position to fail and then went, well, why did he fail? It's like, well, yeah, I don't know. Like when you're playing 90% of your minutes with a Ron, a 38 year old Ron Ainsey, it's tough to do good, you know, like, and I think he did okay for what it's worth. So that's why I, I think a lot of people are not a lot of people, but some people are nervous about his development. I think what he's shown is that he definitely is legit NHL or he's just got to do it on a full-time basis now. 
Yeah, I think to, to, to calm people down who are nervous about his development, how about the guys in Belleville calling him the franchise? You don't need to rush the franchise. Like, he's coming. He's going to be good. Give him time. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think Belleville will be still a very solid team this year, even if, you know, a couple of the guys make it up. You know, there's there's going to be probably Abramov is up there or down there, Formanton. We haven't even talked about Phil Schlappick at all. Like, who, who knows where he fits with this lineup? But if he's in the AHL, we've seen him light it up too. So, you know, he's going to be a big part, you know. Davidson, like there's just so many names that are down there and, you know, and who knows who they drafted this year, who's going to come in. There's, there's going to be a couple guys probably that help out in the HL at some point. So uh, I definitely am not too worried about Belva. I think they should have a really good team again this year. It's a shame we didn't get to see their playoff run last year, but I think this year they should be maybe not just as good, but they should be a force to be reckoned with again. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they're just as good or even better. And the reason I say even better between the pipes Joey Decord uh, took massive, massive steps last season. And I think Philip Gustafson, we're going to see a whole new guy once he comes back from Sweden. He's been playing pretty good. He's got a chip on his shoulder. And now we've got a good competitive battle between those two. So I think he's going to have a real chance to do something. And when you have such good goaltending in the AHL, those those higher um, risk-taking offensive young players like Formanton and Abramov, they can take those risks because they know they got a guy uh, steady back there to keep things keep things out of the net. Pilsy, we just finished Cape Breton week on the Locked On Senators podcast. No love for Mando. He's going to be pushing those guys. He's going to start in, in uh, Brampton. This is the guy who just won Q goalie of the year. He, he was a stud in Cape Breton. So you talk about missing out on the Belleville playoff run. Those Cape Breton Eagles had the same feeling in their room that they were ready to compete for Memorial Cup. And a huge reason was Kevin Mandelese. So let's see how he does when he turns pro. Yeah, and I mean, there's even just like other than this is going off on a bit of a tangent, but like they got so many guys playing overseas right now too. Like Marilyn um, doesn't know how to lose. Yeah, like Robbie Jarventi is just absolutely lighting up the the Finnish league right now. Who knows? Like if the season's over and you go, hey, do you want to come on over to the AHL to play our playoffs? Like th- there's just so many options, really. And I think it'll be a really exciting year again for Belleville, which is good because. Again, we've talked about it. I don't think Ottawa's going to be necessarily good. I don't think they're going to be as bad as last year, but uh, anyone expecting Ottawa to be right in the playoff hunt is probably going to be disappointed. Well, especially uh, with an all-Canadian division. Yeah, like, like that, that, that really them, changes sure. things. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, I think Belleville will still be set up no matter who, you know, you could have four or five of the guys from last year make the NHL team, and I think they'll still look really, really good just overall. Like, they, the, Ottawa has just so much depth in their prospect system. You know, they're still not, maybe not lacking. I mean, who, who knows? Maybe Stutzel will be that one guy, but they still feel like they're sometimes lacking that one or two just really elite talents, but they have just the deepest prospect pool in terms of just talent from like one to 15 or 20, in my opinion. So how fired up are you for UND season to get underway? Oh yeah. Or, like that. I was say, senators. Yeah. Shane if Pinto you, is, is being slept on, I think is like potentially a top six centerman. Yeah, and, and there's just so many. I mean, I, I, the World Juniors are coming up too. There should be a handful of Senators guys that are there too. Like, mm, it's we, a, we just did a quick peek. I don't think Ridley Gregg's getting the nod. I doubt. Yeah, I wouldn't. You look at me. that Canadian that, roster. That Canadian gonna team be. is stacked. Yeah, um, but you know, I mean, maybe. I mean, I guess that some of the guys they took this year were overagers, anyways. But I would. Just, there's usually a couple guys sprinkled around. You know, Team Finland and Sweden or whatever. So um, it's definitely an exciting time. And still, if you're uh, want to watch sense prospects because there will be a lot to keep uh keep an eye on that's for sure 
Um, other than that, I, I don't have much more to talk about. Uh, thanks for joining me, guys. Uh, you know, plug some stuff. Where can people find you and your work? Well, the Locked On Senators podcast available all platforms. Of course, uh, we try to do five a week in the off season, six during the year. Uh, we got some great interviews coming, and uh, yeah, we we have a lot of fun doing it. Philzy and I on Twitter at Send Central, which is awesome being on your podcast, Alex, because. You were one of the first ones. Uh, it was like three years ago now uh, where we followed each other at to NHL Sends and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's been great interacting with you there. Love uh, pushing the Sends community on Twitter. It's a ton of fun, man. It's one of the most active uh, com- hockey communities you've got to think in the NHL. Super creative. And uh, yeah, we're happy to be here. Yeah, and this uh, this kind of goes full full circle for me too because uh, Alex, we had you on our show uh, I think a month ago or so, and I was telling you that I used to work for the the company you're working for now. Last uh, last word on puck, so it's it's great to see you kind of carry that torch. I mean, I'll be honest, I only wrote a couple. Uh, Which one? Why Dominic Hasek was the greatest goalie all time? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I didn't write article? a lot of great uh, in-depth articles. I think it's pretty clear. I'm not a writer. I'll uh, I'll rely on my deep voice to get me far in this industry. So I put, I put the pen down after a couple articles. Please don't go searching for those. <laughs> you probably won't like what you see, but glad to see you're carrying the torch and uh, coming out with a podcast for uh, a company that generally does articles. So that's a, that's a big bold move by you and we're happy to support you yeah thanks guys it means a ton and and you know i I've, we've talked about it a bunch but yeah it's been you know you guys were one of the first accounts i really followed when i got into just sense twitter I, I made it as just a place where i didn't annoy my real life friends and uh it's honestly just turned into the only thing i ever use you know i never go on my other one which is just awesome but uh i can definitely vouch for you know the the interviews i just finished part one of the jamie mcclennan interview and i'm gonna start uh part two probably once uh, once we hop off here but that was an amazing interview so yeah everyone who for whatever reason you're not listening go check them out it's uh, absolutely amazing and thank you guys so much for joining me today pleasure to be here thanks man glad to join uh, as I mentioned, huge thanks to those two for joining me. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Uh, as always, if there's anyone you want to hear on the podcast in future weeks, shoot me a message. You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff and the podcast on Twitter at Last Word on Sends. Uh, other than that, I hope everyone has a great week. We'll get back to you next week, and hopefully there's a, a little more to talk about. The NHL provided some content this week, which was nice. Uh, you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com as well as milehighhockey.com. I'm hoping to have a couple pieces out this week, but you can find everything on Twitter if you just follow me there. Thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next week. Thank you.